Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Hello, today is April the 26th. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. Today we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts. Last time we were together, we we were in chapter number four, and we'd actually gotten all the way down to verse number 18. So for context, let's just pick up in uh, verse 13 and read down through um, verse 22, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle had been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people, for all the men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was showed. Let's pray. Father, we love you and do ask that you go before us today, that you bless the reading of your word, that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us today. Be with each and every one that listens to this now and later. Father, bless, touch, heal, work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now again, uh, our verses where we're going to pick up day is 19 through 22. Um, we see that they, the religious leaders, the Sadducees here, are still focused on the healing of the lame man in the previous chapter. Uh, Les Feldick points out that the age of the man could be a way of God pointing out again that the nation was being tested. 40. Uh, now it says 40 years old, above 40 years old, but the number 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. Uh, in other words, he's suggesting that Israel is still on trial here. And of course, we know through the gift of hindsight, which tends to be much better than foresight, uh, that they failed and God went on to call out from the Gentiles a people after his name. In other words, the body of Christ came into existence. The number 40. So, you know, Les Feldick points that out. You remember, uh, rain 40 days, 40 nights. Uh, the Lord was on the earth after his resurrection and his ascension for 40 days. Uh, number of testing. Um, and, of course, we know that Israel failed that test. And that is precisely uh, what has... As a result of Israel failing that test, they went into what the Bible refer to, refers to as a blindness because they failed the test. And for over 1,900 years or so now, the, we have been living in the church, the body of Christ, as a result. 
Uh, and during this time in which we live, the nation of Israel still stands in spiritual blindness. Um, we see that, you know, in, uh, for example, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded until this day remaineth the veil untaking away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, it, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So Israel abides in spiritual blindness. Paul also referred to this blindness over in Romans uh, chapter number 11 and verse number 7, a very popular misinterpreted scripture. <laughs> uh, Romans 11 verse number 7, What then? Hath Israel not obtained that which he seeketh for? But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Now, many will say that that word elect there is referring to the church. What then? Israel hath not obtained which he seeketh, but the elect has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So you get all kinds of uh, theology uh, out of that, the, the doctrine of the election, predestination, one of the main tenets of covenant theology. The problem is that's not what that verse means. Um, the elect here is referring to the Jewish believers, the Jewish kingdom believers, the Jews that actually did accept the gospel of the kingdom, and the rest were blinded. So the word elect has nothing to do with the body of Christ, you and me. It's got everything to do with Jewish believers. Now, look in, uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 23, uh, Acts chapter number 4, and um, verse number 23. Let's look at that. And being let go, they went, th went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Does that sound familiar? It's Psalm 2. And we're going to go over there later on. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 like, I'm, like I've explained before, and I'll explain again, was the timeline. Psalm 2 was the timeline of all prophecy as it relates to the nation of Israel. And Peter is referring to that. And then he says in verse 27, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Again, he's still referring to Psalm chapter 2. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant thy servants with all boldness that we may speak thy word. 
Again, Paul is still, I mean, Peter is still referring back to Psalm chapter number 2. And we've talked about that before in Psalms chapter number 2. Here we go. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Sound familiar? The kings of the earth have set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together, Jew and Gentile, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. Who's they? The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he that sitteth in the heavens will laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Again, this is speaking of the rejection of the Messiah. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, referring to the tribulation, and vex them and in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And I will declare the degree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask me for the heathen as thine inheritance in the uttermost parts of the earth. Peter is referring to Psalm chapter number 2. Why is Peter referring to Psalm chapter number 2? Because it is the plan of the ages. That's why Peter is referring to it. And then notice also in verse number 28 where it says, and it says, thy counsel determined before to be done. Notice verse 27 for context. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Again, a reference back to Psalm chapter number two. In other words, the entire human race is guilty for to do, in verse 28, whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. In other words, God, before eternity even began, knew that the Jewish nation would reject the Messiah and he allowed it to happen so as not to forfeit their free will. And that plan, once they rejected their Messiah and their kingdom, was the body of Christ, which would be made up of both Jew and Gentile. Remember over in Acts chapter 2, verse number 23? Um, we can look at that real quick. Acts chapter 2. And verse number 23, he says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, yet you've taken and by wicked hands you have crucified and slain him. See, even though it was already in the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, it was still done wickedly. The crucifixion did not catch God by surprise. He knew what they would do. It was beforehand. He was foreordained. God knew that they would reject their Messiah. The word foreordained, I looked that up, it means appointed or decreed beforehand. God knew it. In other words, it was allowed because it fulfilled God's purpose. It was allowed because it fulfilled God's purpose. Uh, this explains Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 11. Ephesians chapter number 1 and verse number 11 where it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, 
being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, by the way, that word predestined has nothing to do with salvation. The only predestiny that we have as the body of Christ is to be conformed into the image of Christ. And we see that in Romans chapter 8, verse number 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to what? To be saved? No, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. Whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So, the word predestined has nothing to do with salvation. It has everything to, to do with us being conformed into the image of his son. Paul was speaking of the same thing in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse number, number 9, I believe that's 2 Timothy 1, 9. Um, boom, boom, boom. Here it is. Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began. If you are a child of God, and I am assuming that you are, it is because it was in the purpose of God for us to be so. We were saved for a purpose. You know, today, so many people are trying to find their purpose. They want their purpose. You know, every company I've ever worked for, let's come up with a purpose statement. We've got to have a purpose statement. But the problem is, when you try to find your purpose outside of Christ, you're going alone. And you're going to get into all kinds of crazy things when you do that. If we do not give our lives to Christ, we will give our lives to something else, i.e., activism, weird eating habits, politics. Why? Because we're trying to find a purpose, a God-ordained purpose. Our purpose is to serve God. It will never be found outside of Christ. Never be found outside of Christ. Now look down in verse number 29. Um, Acts chapter, back to Acts chapter number 4. Let's see, I'm going too far there. Working with all this technology here. Acts 4.29 And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants with all boldness that they may speak thy word. Now, why were they asking for boldness? Because they were getting ready to defy the local authorities. You remember back up in verse 17? But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth no, to no man in this name. So they were praying for boldness because they were getting ready to defy 
the local authorities. Now, I don't know if I would call this civil disobedience, but I might call it sacred disobedience. <laughs> they were getting ready to defy the local leaders. Therefore, they were praying for boldness. Now, look down in verse number 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said they any of them that ought, that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, here's another verse that I have seen so many times um, misinterpreted, misapplied. So, a few things come to mind in regards to this verse. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Immediately, people will start jumping to all kinds of conclusions in regard to this. Let me give you three things. First, all of the churches today, many, want everyone I've ever been a part of, wants to get back to Pentecost. We want to get back to Acts. But they're not doing this. You know, uh, but really, nor should they. Um, the church today, this, isn't, this is about the kingdom church. It has nothing to do with the body of Christ. This was the kingdom church. The second thing, they did it because they believed that the second coming was close. Why did they do it? Because they believed that the second coming was close. Why? Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 said, and then I will vex them in my wrath. That was to be next. So they were following the outline of Psalm chapter number two. Why do the heathen rage and the people amain, uh, 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 the people imagine a vain thing? The kingdom, the, the rulers will gather together against my anointed, saying, let's cast the bonds asunder, and I will laugh at them and put them in derision, and I will vex them in my wrath. They were expecting a tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week. They knew their Bibles, and then the second coming of Christ. So they didn't think they needed those things. So number one, this has nothing to do with the body of Christ. It has everything to do with the kingdom church. Number two, they believed that the second coming was close. So they were not going to need these things. Now, sadly, it did not end well. Because ultimately, the nation rejected the kingdom offer, and they began to starve. <laughs> That's why we find in Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 25 through 26, we find the Apostle Paul saying, But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them in Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution to the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Why were the saints poor in Jerusalem? Because they had sold everything and placed it into the common kitty. And the tribulation never came. The second coming never came. And now they're broke. So now a collection is being made by the Apostle Paul to take back to the saints which are in Jerusalem. This is also spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in verses 1 through 3 when it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... 
Now that's a study for another day. There are some people believe that the word saints is referring to the Jewish believers and has nothing to do with the body of Christ. You know, and I, I'm just now beginning to go down that road, but I am finding a lot leaning that way. Uh, Paul clearly refers to the saints um, as the Jewish believers. Uh, because he'll even separate, say, to the saints and all the other believers. So he seems to be, and again, some I still have to go down this road, but it seems like the word saints is referring specifically to the Jewish believers. So he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches in Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, let every man lay aside as the Lord has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You know the verse, and when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto where? Jerusalem. Why did they need their liberality in Jerusalem? Because they were broke. <laughs> Why were they broke? They had sold everything, and the common kitty was beginning to run dry. You remember in Acts chapter number 6, we'll get over there, the whole reason they appointed those men uh, to help Wait on tables in Acts chapter number 6 was to take care of the common kitty, to redistribute what had been given. And a lot of people look at Acts chapter number 6 and find deacons, you know, church deacons. No, the qualifications for church deacons is, is much more um, uh, detailed by the Apostle Paul. Uh, if these were deacons in the truest sense, the word just means servants, uh, they were deacons in the kingdom church, not in the body of Christ. So that's the second thing. So the first thing, the churches, this was the kingdom church. That's why they did it. They were expecting the second coming. And then secondly, the reason they did it, they believed that it was going to happen very quickly. And then thirdly, they were obeying Christ. They, how were they obeying Christ? Well, in Matthew... Chapter number 19, verse number 21. What did our Lord tell them? In Matthew chapter 19, verse number 21, And Jesus said unto them, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. So the Lord had told them. So they were referring back to the very teachings of their Lord. And they had accepted the kingdom that he had come to offer as Jewish believers, saints, if you will. And they were just obeying what he had said. Now, I can't tell you how many Bible teachers I have heard that have mocked this decision to sell everything that they had. Oh, it's an experiment with communism. It's an experience with socialism and Back in the 60s in the Jesus movement, everybody wanted to go into communes, modeling the kingdom church. The body of Christ is not the kingdom church. We are not called to sell everything that we have and give it into the common kitty. Um, so people will mock this decision. You know why? Because they think that these early disciples, including the apostles, didn't know what they were doing that they just didn't understand the scriptures. Understand, if you're going to take the Acts 2 birth of the church approach, that's the, um, that's the conclusion that you're going to reach, that these guys just didn't know what was going on, 
And they just sold everything, experimenting with communism, ultra-spirituality. No, they knew full well what was going on. As a matter of fact, I think they knew probably better than we do. The problem is that most of the church today, listen to me, does not rightly divide the word of truth. Most of the church today see the body of Christ in the first several chapters of the book of Acts. So therefore, they apply everything that happened in the first several chapters of the book of Acts to the body of Christ today. And that's where we end up with so, much, so many different denominations, so much disagreement, because we're trying, we are not rightly dividing what was going on in the book of Acts. Now, look in verse number 33, uh, Acts chapter 4, um, and verse number 33 through 37. He says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man as they had need. That's where the deacons, the servants, were called in Acts chapter number 6. And why? It became too much. The apostles said, we don't have time to be waiting on tables. We need to give ourselves to prayer and, and fasting and the study of the word. And Joseph, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So nothing about this language pertains to the church today. Nothing. I am sure that there are some, but how many of you have had a pastor ask you to sell everything that you have and come and lay it at his feet? Now, I'm sure there's some, and I've heard of some charlatans that have done things like that, but no, we don't do this. Yeah, but we do everything else. Well, why don't we do this? Because it doesn't pertain to us. It is for the kingdom church, not to us. Interesting. Somebody that I really like to follow, someone I study quite a bit. I'll give you a few names, and you can go and follow up. Les Feldick. Um, Les Feldick is an older pastor. He's got to be late 80s. Uh, 90s by now, uh, at least. He and his wife, Iris, uh, lives in Quinta, Oklahoma, um, has a huge YouTube ministry. Uh, but uh, I follow him, and I would encourage you to do the same. Um, I also like Dr. Randy White, Randy White Ministries, um, out of uh, First Baptist Church, Taos, New Mexico. I've also just recently got turned on to a guy named Brian Ross, um, very good Bible teachers that really rightly divide. Um, and, you know, and I listen to a few others. And, you know, I don't agree with everything um, that they say. Um, I try to go and weigh it against what I've been taught or what I can see. I'm not going to believe it just because you tell me. I'm going to be a good Berean, and I'm going to go to the Word of God and try to judge, just like the saints. 
You know, I've heard <clears throat> several teachings that emphatically say saints is not referring to the body of Christ, it's referring to the Jewish believers um, that had accepted the gospel of the kingdom. Well, I'm not going to go with that until I can fully get my head wrapped around that, until I can justify that and believe that. Now, I am, at this point, a what you would call a mid-Acts dispensationalist, um, not an Acts 2 dispensationalist. Now, I used to be an Acts 2 dispensationalist, um, but after careful study, um, I'm no longer an Acts 2 dispensationalist. So, anyway, Les Feldick uh, points to a guy that actually taught back in the 1920s and 30s. I believe he was in Chicago, St. Louis area. Uh, his name was William R. Newell. And uh, I looked up his book. It's called Paul versus Peter. And it's Remarks on Galatians 1 and 2. And he makes this statement. Is it not strange that for 16 or 17 chapters of the book of Acts, if we include chapter 9, and of course that is where Saul, Paul, was converted, these chapters are given to that apostle who was not one of the original 12. He was not converted until long after Pentecost. Paul had nothing to do with Pentecost. He wasn't a saved man at Pentecost. Again, you know, I, I hear people say, well, you know, they, they picked Matthias. They should have waited for Paul. Paul wasn't even a Christian. You know, Paul wasn't even a believer, you know, at that point. Um, so, you know, they picked Matthias because the Lord told them to pick Matthias. Uh, again, just a total problem with rightly dividing what's going on in the book of Acts. He was not converted until long after Pentecost. Must there not be a deep reason for this? And what is the reason? One thing is certainly evident already, and that is we Gentiles have a relation to Paul that we do not have with the other apostles. And he says exactly what that is we must prayerfully seek and discover. You know, many times, mid-Acts dispensationalists, and, uh, and understand, just clarification, mid-Acts dispensationalism, we're dispensationalists. Make no mistake about it. Um, some will refer to us as hyper in that we take the dispensations and we further divide them. Well, we do. Uh, hyper dispensationalism is a derogatory term. It's not meant to be nice. Um, prefer the word mid-Acts, and mid-Acts meaning we do not believe the church was born in Acts chapter number 2. Uh, the church was born after the Apostle Paul was converted, possibly the Apostle Paul being the first convert into the body of Christ. So as a result, we get accused of making too much of Paul. Um, but the reason we do that is because we have learned to understand that Peter and Paul had different ministries. Peter and Paul had different ministries, and I'm going to conclude our lesson today by taking a look at this. Uh, Peter and Paul had very different ministries. Peter 
preach the gospel of the kingdom to the house of Israel. And he even preached it to a Gentile, Cornelius. Paul preached the gospel of grace to the Gentiles. The gospel of the kingdom that Peter preached was to the nation of Israel and was a gospel of works, repent and be baptized. The gospel of grace that was preached by the Apostle Paul was of faith alone and belief. Just believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We don't tag, you have to repent and be baptized. Now, I got to admit, most churches do today. They've taken the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace and they've made it into one heresy. And that's what Paul's referring to over in Galatians. You've taken something that is no gospel at all. You've made it no gospel at all. Um, and we see the, I, I can't think of a place where we see this more clearly than in the book of, in Acts chapter number 15. And we're going to get over there. But all this was settled in Acts chapter number 15. Look over there with me, if you would. Acts chapter number 15, verses 1 through 15. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Why were they saying that? Because that's the gospel of the kingdom. Repent and be baptized. So they're saying here that you have to do this. You have to keep the law. You have to abide by the law or you can't be saved. And that includes circumcision. In other words, you need to proselytize and become a Jew. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no dissension and disputation with them, why would the apostle Paul and Barnabas have dissension and disputation with them? Because they were preaching the gospel of grace, which is just believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, where were the apostles? They were still in Jerusalem. Why were they still in Jerusalem? Because they were still waiting for the kingdom. And if you, let's see, I think it's here in Acts 15. You're talking Acts, the Jerusalem Council happened around 46 A.D. 46 A.D. They are still in Jerusalem some 40 years later. Why? Why had they not went out? Because they were still waiting for the kingdom. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy among all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were, they, they were received of the church. Now, this is the Jerusalem church. And of the apostles and the elders. And they declared all things that God had done unto them. But there arose certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed. So this is believing Pharisees saying that it is needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. So these are Pharisees who were now um, the byproduct of the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, they were Jewish believers. They were part of this Jerusalem church. And they're saying these guys need to be circumcised and they need to keep the law of Moses. Why? Because the apostles were still keeping the law of Moses. And we'll look at that next time, I guess. 
because we'll find that they're still fellowshipping in Solomon's porch. What's Solomon's porch? That's in the temple. They were still in the temple. It wasn't the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. They were still in the temple. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know that a while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the gospel and believe. What's Peter referring to? He's referring to Cornelius in Acts chapter number 10. Cornelius was a Gentile that listened to the gospel of the kingdom as proclaimed by the apostle Peter. And the Bible says he believed and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then later he was baptized. But that was to show Peter that God was going to be doing something among the Gentiles. Even though God would not necessarily use Peter to do it, he was going to raise up the apostle Paul to do it. And God, which knoweth the hearts Bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Speaking of Cornelius and his house, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And again, whether it's gospel of the kingdom, gospel of the grace, it all starts with faith. But in the gospel of the kingdom, it's got to be followed up with law. In the gospel of grace, it's followed up with just belief. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Salvation had come to the Jew and the Gentile. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience unto Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, they answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's Peter, Simon Peter, hath declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles, through Cornelius, you remember, to take out a, of them a people for his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets. And again, he begins to quote the prophets in regard to God reaching out, using the nation of Israel to reach the Jew. Look down and reach the Gentile, I mean. Look down, verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles have been turned to God. In other words, we're not going to put the yoke of bondage. We're not going to make them keep the law. And then look down in verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders, the whole church, the church in Jerusalem, which was a kingdom church, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch, which was a Gentile church under the gospel of grace, with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas named Barsabas, Silas, chief men among the brethren. See, it, it had been settled there. The difference between the gospel of the kingdom, the ministry of Peter and the apostles, and the gospel of, the, of grace, and the ministry of the apostle Paul. And he spoke of this over in Galatians chapter 2. Uh, he referred back to this in Galatians chapter 2. Fourteen years after I went to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them. Who's them? The apostles that were in Jerusalem, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, which was different than the gospel that they preached among the Jews, but privately to them, were, which were of reputation, lest by any means... 
I should run or had run in vain. In other words, he wanted to get on the same page with them. And, and, he, and he did. Because notice what it says. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In other words, that's what, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Paul was not going to make the Gentiles get circumcised and keep the law because he, they were no longer under the law. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. In other words, place us back under the law to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, he's referring to the apostles in Jerusalem, whatsoever they are, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. In other words, he's saying that we came to an agreement. And it says in verse 7, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, that's the Gentiles, was committed unto me, Paul, as the gospel of the circumcision, the Jews, was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, Paul, they gave to me and Barnabas, the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. They unto the circumcision. So yes, we do make much of Paul. Why? Because the, the ministry between Peter and Paul was very different. Peter went to the Jew with the gospel of the kingdom. Paul went to the Gentile with the gospel of of grace. Now, sadly, those of us who have those of us who have um, made the distinction between the ministries of Paul and Peter, the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom, are many times accused of being troublemakers. You're dividing the body, and I've been told that, and I'm sure some of you have been told that. Matter of fact, even been called heretics. Seriously? Just because we disagree as to when the church started? Come on, guys, grow up. Our view only calls into question, to be honest, your covenant and charismatic theology, <laughs> as the case may be. Um, there is a difference. I mean, if you still believe that there is no difference between the church today and the church then, wait till we get into chapter number five, where hypocrisy was dealt with with death. This is not the church in which you and I live today. And again, I mean, it's not heretical to believe that the church didn't start in Acts chapter number two. And like I said, it does call into question a lot of doctrine today to admit that the church didn't start in chapter number two. Again, I mentioned covenant theology is called into question because they teach replacement theology that the church has now become Israel. We are the elect. 
We have all the promises that God gave, gave to Israel. If you embrace the mid-Acts position, you're going to have to dispense of that. And I th- charismatic theology. If Acts chapter number 2 and everything that happened at Pentecost had nothing to do with the body of Christ, it's going to call into question those teachings. So again, I mean, it's just, it's what we have come to believe as a result of what we call rightly dividing the word of truth. And that word rightly divide uh, comes from uh, 2 Timothy, what is it, 2 Timothy 2.15. Studies show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have learned to divide truth from truth. There are divisions that need to be made. And of course, we're called dispensationalists because of that. I hope that makes sense. I hope you grow and I hope you learn as a result of that. It's a journey that I've begun probably over a year ago. And I would encourage you, don't just throw it out. Study the Word of God and see if these things be so for yourself. I promise you, it will open your eyes to many things. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you for uh, allowing me to be a part of your life again today. And next time we get together, we'll break over into Acts uh, chapter Number four, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the time that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.